Welcome to the Business of Dairy podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Carter, Development Officer with the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Dairy Team. Each month, I speak with industry people generous enough to share their stories, knowledge and skills with us to help you in the increasingly complex area of farm business management. This month, I visit Tokal College to speak with their dairy manager, Matt Brett, who introduces us to the dairy, its purpose and resources. And we also speak about tools they use to track how the business is performing, including the monthly Tokal Dairy Business Report. Um, Matt, can you tell me a bit about your involvement at, at Tokal, how long you've been here and about your role as dairy manager? Yeah, g'day. Thanks, Sheena. Um, so I've been here at Tokal for a bit over 10 years now. When I first came to the college, I started in a more an education role. But for the last uh, three years, I've been managing the, the dairy enterprise here at the college uh, for, for New South Wales DPI. Yeah, my family history or my history was that my family were in dairying all my life and we had a family dairy. And then uh, in years to come after that, I went out share farming in my own uh, business for about nearly 12 years. And then prior to coming here to the college, I was managing a couple of larger dairies. And then, like I say, about uh, 11 years ago, started here at the, at the college. Right. And so as dairy manager, I guess you've got uh, some great in- insight into how the, the dairy operates. But primarily, what is, what is the purpose of having a dairy at Tokal College? The purpose of, of the college is, is for agricultural education, for young people primarily. And the purpose of the dairy is, is for dairy education. So we have our full-time students here at the college who work on a uh, weekly rotating roster and come over and involved in uh, all things to do with the dairy. So from milking, feeding cars, vaccination programs, um, paddock work, fencing, uh, so everything that's uh, you know to do with with um, working on a farm, and the idea is for us to get those students um, up to a beginner standard in in industry, so that they, after their first or second year, would become a person who could be readily employed by a dairy farmer or or perhaps you know, beef farm or cropping or whatever direction they go in. You know, it's really up to them. And and the good part about the dairy is it provides. Yep, that's, certainly they learn about milking and, and, um, and all things to do with the dairy, but it's also broader than that. They learn about their pastures and, and machinery and everything else as well while they're, while they're on the farm. We also have uh, trainees who are on other farms throughout New South Wales working there, and they come in for their, their study blocks around about every uh, five to six weeks, and they'll come over and, and do training on the dairy as well. We might have a, a trainer come over with them and they'll assess them in practical activities on the farm or they'll learn about different activities on the farm. Uh, Then we also have veterinary students from the University of Sydney. We have about over 20 of those on placement every year here now and they come and do their week or perhaps two weeks, three weeks practical placement just depending on what group they are. And look, I think that's probably a fairly valuable service to industry in the fact that a lot of the the vets that come here are, are very... Uh, very much novices when it comes to handling large animals especially so I think if we can give them that training here the fact that we're a farm that's used to training beginner or beginning students we find that a really valuable thing to be involved with the with the University of Sydney doing that 
with the prac placements and then of course there's also our involvement with with industry in general like hosting field days farm walks all that sort of thing certainly we like to you know be involved with local land services might be uh, machinery groups or something that might demonstrate machinery here on the farm a lot of different things that that we can do here that we just you know we want to get as much value out of running the the farm and that dairy for the industry as we can. Yes, I think it, it uh, Take Our College certainly adds a lot to the industry, as you say, in terms of, of training and opening its doors to the wider community. Um, yeah. To, yeah, from an educational point of view, which is fantastic. Now, I suppose the dairy you have set it up to be, shall we say, reflective of uh, a typical, whatever a typical, but a typical dairy in this part of the world looks like. So can you describe to our listeners, some of who may have actually been to Tokau College, um, but to just describe the farming system that we've got. You know, obviously within New South Wales, we've got uh, the whole range of dairying systems. We've got very low input pasture-based systems all the way through to fully housed TMR systems. What does the Tokau dairy look like? That's a good question. Uh, a typical dairy. But yeah, so the idea is for us to to represent a you know a commercial size dairy operation within New South Wales. So we milk around about 280 to 300 cows uh, all year round. Have a 15 aside parallel stallgate dairy. Yeah, and it, it really is a, a grazing system throughout most of the year. But we certainly have a feed pad and feed you know as needed on the feed pad. Look, can we represent every dairy? In, in the country or in the state, no, we can't. We sort of hope that we sort of find a, a, a reasonable, happy medium in a lot of ways and that the students can learn, you know, certainly enough on our farm that they'll be useful to, for wherever they might might end up. Sure, and you've got, you know, plenty of uh, technologies that are used in the, the dairy as well in terms of helping to um, understand what's happening and measure and manage uh, the cows. Can you briefly just touch on some of those? Basically, uh, the last sort of nearly two years now, maybe a bit over two years, we've had uh, heat time collars on the cows. So we've, we've uh, been very happy with that program. Um, certainly the students get to see that technology and understand how it's used. We still go through the, um, uh, you know, certainly heat detection skills and all, all that sort of stuff that they, using patches and all that in, in our heifer programs. So they still understand how they, they may need to do that on, on other farms. Um, but yeah, certainly they get to see that. We have we've, we've uh, have centre pivots on about 40 hectares of country as well. That's, that can be controlled by, you know, by the mobile phone. So they get to see that sort of technology. Got a draft gate there, which uh, you know, works off their NLIS tags. And obviously, look, there's computerised systems in the dairy. We run our herd on the Easy Dairy platform. And we also you know, have uh, other other things in the in the dairy there, which um, you know might be like the hygienist wash system, or you know things like that that they'll understand about all the different technologies that are that are used on the farm. On the tractor side of things, we've got the GPS technology and the farm mapping there for our paddock work and sowing paddocks and that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Right. So really using some of that current technology that other dairy businesses are um, using in their own businesses. Yeah. Yeah. You? That's right. Okay, so the uh, the past you say you're a pasture-based system. What, can you just briefly describe what that pasture base is and how it varies throughout the year? Yeah, when you break it down, our uh, milking platform is probably around about 130 hectares that the cows can directly graze. Now, of that, 
there's about 80 hectares that we can irrigate. You probably have to squeeze that back a little bit when it gets really dry because some of the travelling irrigator country, we, we sort of uh, retract the amount that we irrigate just to keep up with that in a really dry time. Uh, but we have 40 hectares under centre pivots. So that's pretty, um, you know, that's, that's constant, reliable all the time. Now in that centre pivot country, we really are, I suppose, what you'd call now a, an Italian ryegrass, chicory and clover system. Uh, predominantly, probably used to be what was, a, you know, you'd think of as a Kikuya-based system. I, I don't think that's really the right term to use with that now. Like, certainly through the summer, we do get the kike coming back and the, the chicory and red clover will be there as well. But in a normal year, we'll be frost frosting that with a light spray of Roundup sort of at the end of February to sort of sow the first week in March uh, with Italian rye. So that's an annual sowing every year. So Italian rye, chicory clover. And yeah, we'll really graze that then right up until I think, um, you know, this year our last grazing was around about the 20th of December and we still had good rye grass mm. under the pivot then. And then certainly January, February, we can't get rye grass to grow here then. And that's where you rely on your uh, chicory and, and clover uh, to mix in with that summer grass that's in the paddock. And then, yeah, start start again in you know, by the end of February and early March where we're in and sowing again. Um, and I guess the, uh, the heat we can talk about a bit later in terms of your year-round calving pattern. That sort of is a challenge at, at certain times of the year with calving. How do you manage that? It's been tough. The last few years have been hot, dry, drought years in the summers have been really terrible um, mm. up until this one we've just come through now and then that's presented itself with other challenges as a lot of us in New South Wales would know with, with the flooding. Yeah, but certainly heat um, and and the welfare of your cows is, is a big concern for us. We look at, do we, if the summer's too bad, do we even keep mating, you know, through that through that period? Um, sometimes the answer will be no, like we might decide to, to stop mating for three or four weeks over that, uh, if it's a really hot January, February, wherever that, that heat wave sort of condition would be. Yeah, look, even if we do keep mating, probably the truth is that uh, are we getting many cows in calf? Mm. Often the answer is no. And then, so what we'll do then, as soon as the weather cools down, we, you know, we'll start on synchronised programs then to, to get them back, the ones that have missed, yeah, start trying to get those cows back in calf again then. And make sure you've got the, the numbers coming through to maintain yeah, that 280, 300 cows. That's right. And the truth is, because of that, it can be a bit bunchy, I suppose. I wouldn't say that we're, uh, we're certainly not a, a dedicated batch calving operation. We, we really try to mate throughout most of the year, but we certainly will get those clumps um, coming through. And, um, yeah, look, we, we probably try not to... Um, carve too many cows, you know, on Christmas Day or, you know, just <laughs> over that New Year's period. But pretty much after that, we'll have cows carving again in, you know, January, early, early January, then sort of uh, right, through. Uh, right through after that. Sure. Um, now, we did skip back. We should just probably touch back on your silage production. Um, maize is sort of the, the predominant silage that you're making yeah. these days? Yeah, so I suppose we, we changed the system around, well, the last three years since I've um, started to, to manage the operation. We decided to, to start back into maize production. So historically, they uh, the dairy used to grow maize years ago, but then went away from that and went more to round bales. 
we certainly still do a lot of round bales, but as the herd size has increased, yeah, just really to get that, you know, number one, the, the, the amount of feed, the amount of dry matter we need, the bulk, um, a maize crop is hands down, um, is, is, is the winner. And look, we know we've got the water. We've got really a great source of water here with the Patterson River, 680 odd megs of allocation that is, is strictly not really metered or, or, or licensed at the, at the moment. We're on an unregulated stream, actually in the tidal pool, you know, a lucky enough position where the water doesn't become too brackish. So we, we, we can, uh, you know, we've got good use of water and have never had that restricted. So yeah, to us, maize is a really obvious option now. And um, like I say, as the herd's grown, we've decided, yep, to start to um, you know plant that and, and try and get that good quality, high energy, good amount of um, uh, volume off and stored. And we um, got that off the paddock for about $60 a tonne. And so it worked out to be you know, around about $180 a tonne dry matter um, in the pit. So it's certainly, um, you know, it ended up with about 1,700 tonnes worth of feed in the pit so yeah look we're pretty happy with that result and and we were lucky enough just to get it off before the wet weather um, came back in again that's obviously certainly a crop that does have some risk uh, about it but yeah to be able to work around that weather and just get it off before the the flood came um, and now it's stored in the pit where we're feeding at the moment and it's, um, yeah, it's certainly a great asset for us. Very cost effective, yes, uh, and, and helps in those times where, you know, as we've ended up with the, the flood impact, um, filling that gap, that feed gap, uh, which is obviously part of your normal strategy anyway, but um, yeah. you're able to draw on that when you need it. Fertiliser usage, you use quite a bit of nitrogen fertiliser to yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, and the thing is, you know, even though we've just said then how critical the maize is to our operation, we, we still do a lot of ryegrass silage and, and really, you know, we sow good quality Italian ryegrasses um, and also some good quality annual ryegrass and we want to get every bit of production that we can off off that feed. So, yeah, we, we do fertilise um, heavily with nitrogen and it's all about putting the maximum amount on there without wasting it, just to drive that that uh, maximum amount of growth that we can. So we end up with, you know, a lot of really good quality, you know, high energy, high protein ryegrass silage. The other thing that I probably should mention uh, about our um, Italian ryegrass based pastures, and especially those areas under the pivots or where we've got uh, the traveling irrigation working well, we, we really do um, see the value in higher application rates of nitrogen and, and we'll be up around 350 units of, of nitrogen per hectare per year on those, yeah, like those high performing pastures. And, you know, we know that we can irrigate it when necessary, so moisture is never going to be a problem and we can make the most out of every bit of that nitrogen we go on there and we've, you know, we've got good silage making equipment, good contractors that can help us, so we can pretty pretty readily, you know, jump the cows ahead. We've got a fairly well-designed paddock uh, system, so we can skip a couple of paddocks and, and um, you know, take them out for silage. We can react pretty quickly when we've got those peak times of growth. And that, I think that's been pretty useful for us. Very good. Now, in terms of things that you measure within the dairy, I think all dairy businesses have a lot of information that it, comes into the business and there's opportunities to use that to help you 
um, manage the business well. The college has participated as a dairy farm monitor farm for a number of years. Um, can you tell me how you actually use those reports? So for the listeners, obviously Farm Monitor is a national program that looks at um, understanding how the dairy industry is performing, but participating farms get an individual farm report. How do you use the information within that? I suppose the thing with us is we we certainly yeah, participate in that program and, and, and happily do so, but we're also aware that there are some quite substantial differences to our business and, the, and our business structure here. And so there's some things that we, it's very hard for us to compare ourselves or benchmark ourselves against industry. And the fact that we're, you know, we're constantly training students and there's a lot of inputs that go into that. But certainly, uh, you know, uh, feed costs is, is one of the, the big ones that we can look at there and, and how much homegrown feed we're growing, you know, have, how much fodder have we had to buy in, all those sorts of things and, and to look where, where, the, where the numbers balance out. So it's certainly very useful. So it's um, kind of in that instance, it's really a, a, a historical, which is what a, a dairy base or a farm monitor report will give you. It's a historical look yeah. at how you went for that, that year and then... From that point, do you use it for any sort of forward planning? Yeah, so we do. And the thing that, that we are also mindful of, the last sort of three years, we, we agreed on a sort of a program of change in the dairy. So we were sort of at a stage about three years ago where we knew that we wanted to increase the size of the operation. It was actually had decreased slightly. Um, so we knew we wanted to build it back up. We wanted to get cow numbers up. We knew we wanted to bring in extra ground um, and start to make that ground more productive. We wanted to put on some more irrigation and make use of that. So all those things have been underway in the last three years. So we, we look at our figures in that context at the moment, I suppose. So maybe in another three years, we could probably look back and say, well, yeah, we're a little bit more stable now. And, and the figures would make more sense year on year. So you might be actually comparing a similar year to a similar year. The last three years, I wouldn't say that they necessarily are because there's all there's been a lot of change and, and growth and, and different things that have needed to happen. So we look at the figures with all that in context, yeah. But it certainly it does allow us to help with our planning. That's exactly right. So we, we know that if, if that was successful and, and that type of system you know, helped us to grow good, good quality, low-cost feed. Uh, we certainly know that that's the way to, to continue. Fantastic. And it's a, I guess, you know, or as always with a, a dairy base or a farm monitor report, it's very much uh, the value is looking at your performance over time and, as you say, contexting it, whether it's because you're transitioning um, through some sort of a different management style or contexting it with the seasons, whether it's been, you know, drought or, or flood or whatever the impact is that you're trying to, to manage. Other, I guess we'll just touch on a couple of other reports that you might use within the business. You do monthly herd recording. Yep. Um, and just quickly, how do, you, how do you use your herd recording predominantly? Yeah, so look, the herd recording, uh, yeah, it's an essential um, part of, I think, you know, most farms would be herd recording now, and, and certainly we go through that. And, and we look for, for everything from cows that are, you know, low-performing cows, look, look at their production indexes, um, yeah, look at cell count history, yeah, all those sorts of things that we might use to make decisions on cows um, going forward. So probably that used in conjunction with our, like, uh, repo reports that we, we get every month, 
they're probably two of the most uh, you know critical things as far as managing the cows go day to day uh, also really handy to look at you know like just herd averages over time you know uh, great reports on there to look back and see how you've performed the last few years um, what's your per cow production doing what's your rolling herd average doing you know are you uh, you know, are we improving? Are we not? And how's that all measured against profitability? Yep. So, um, yeah, no, they're, they're really useful, useful figures. Excellent. And I guess more recently, we've been sort of working together, Tokau College and uh, the New South Wales DPI dairy team, and have been producing a monthly report, which is available on the Tokau Dairy website. We might just touch on that. I guess that report does a couple of things. It sort of gives a monthly summary of some of the metrics within the, the business. So, you know, cow production for the month and milk quality. Uh, we look at uh, the dietary composition, highlighting proportion of homegrown feed and other, other feed sources within the diet. Uh, we look at the milking herd prof profile uh, with reference to days in milk. Nitrogen fertiliser usage, uh, irrigation scheduling, and those type of things in that in that monthly summary. Uh, the other component to the report is what we're calling, a, I guess, a daily operating position. Which um, there's lots of information in that table and, and quite a few inputs that are driving the numbers. But at the end of the the table is our margin over supplementary feed cost and margin over total feed cost. I guess the, the purpose of this tool is not so much just to put the, you know, Tokal dairy under the microscope, but also for, it's something that every dairy business can really generate themselves to understand their performance. How are you using that report yourself? Yeah, well, I think the, the obvious answer is I look at the margin over feed costs. That's, <laughs> that is the probably one critical number that we get out of it every month. And just to have a look at, you know how much surplus there is you know after we've paid our cost of feeding that we can run the rest of the business and again we look at that in context you know so um, we, if we've had a great spring and the cows are producing well like we had the cows producing around about 32 litres 33 litres at their peak in spring um, this spring just gone great quality pasture lots of milk we had you know very very handy margins at the moment we look at it now and um, we've really gone to well, just the last couple of days uh, no pasture grazing at all at the moment and it's all uh, conserved feed that we're feeding back to the cows. Now that will show up in our uh, report that we'll do um, you know, for the end of this month. Mm. There's no doubt about that. We, we know that that uh, certainly will cost us more. But we look at that in context and we sort of say, well, you know, how much has it cost us? So that's a really uh, useful exercise to, to make sure that, you know, we're conserving all this feed ourselves, you know, would it have been cheaper to go out and buy any or uh, was it the right thing to do? Uh, certainly we'll look at that and I think at the moment we're probably pretty comfortable that the answer is that we've, we've done well with the feed we've conserved and, and what we're getting out of it. But, yeah, to, to look at that is, uh, yeah, certainly really useful and I suppose it brings into account everything else you, you look at it again in context uh, you know do we have a, a staler herd at the moment um, have the cows been through wet weather is that why their production's dropped a little bit um, so it certainly helps you to to focus in and, and have a really good look at just how you have traveled that month and yeah weigh up the reasons and if, if you're perfectly happy with the reasons why 
you are in that situation, you go, well, yep, great, let's uh, continue on. If you're not really that happy, you can easily look at the things you might need to change. And I guess that's the beauty of, a, of a looking at margin over feed cost in that you can look at the business in the right here and the right now. If we're looking at a, a dairy-based report, that is historical information. It tells you when, how you went for that financial year as a result of all the decisions you made you know, over that 12-month period. Um, you can't really be reactive uh, and change your profit or whatever performance you're trying to measure because everything's done and dusted. You know, there's other tools out there, profit and loss, that people could potentially look at. Um, it has its limitations, you know, it's really done for, for tax purposes, it does have good information there, but um, in terms of making management decisions based on, you know, what's happening that day, it's, it's somewhat limited. I guess people might look at their, their cash position at the moment and, you know, have we got enough cash in the bank to, to pay the bills? Uh, but again, that's a point in time and it doesn't really tell you um, you know, you might not have accounted for income that hasn't been paid or expenses that haven't been paid either. So that margin over feed cost is, is very valuable. As you say, it's got to be contexted. But if you know uh, what your income is going to be for the year and what your expenses are going to be for the year, you can aim to target a, you know, let's call it an average margin over feed cost. But as you've just explained, there's all sorts of uh, variation throughout the year where at certain points you're going to have a stronger margin over feed cost than at other points um, where perhaps it's going to be getting pretty close to the wire but you know you expect that generally and you can manage it at later different points of the year like you say within spring where you've got um, lots of homegrown good quality feed and yeah. reducing those um, you know, let's say purchased or supplementary feed costs in the diet. I guess if we, we might just take a look at our March um, report just to, to give it a bit of context. And as we mentioned earlier, this report's available on the Tokal Dairy website. Yep. Just Google Dairy Business Report, uh, Tokal, and it'll appear. But so we're doing the margin over feed cost for a day um, each month. And when we looked at our report for the 31st of March, we see that our margin over feed cost was down about $2 per cow per day on the previous month. But when we context it, we can see there's a number of factors at play. Do you want to sort of just talk us through some of them, Matt? What happened um, at that point in time compared to the, the previous month. Yeah, well, I think the most obvious uh, factor at play there is that our amount of directly grazed or directly harvested um, pasture was down and we'd increased the, the silage supplementation. So uh, we'd just been through, like a lot of people would have at that time, like a, a pretty horrendous nearly three months. It was, you know, really started to get very wet in January. We miraculously had a, um, a break uh, at the end of February, it was enough to harvest the corn, so I'm certainly uh, not uh, unhappy about that at all. That, that was brilliant. But then after that, the, the rain uh, just came back in. And look, we were lucky enough here that we've got a lot of flood-free country on top of the hills, but I kept grazing the cows, you know, just sort of 
trying to lightly graze them over paddocks, um, but every paddock nearly got pugged. We certainly could keep them out of the flood waters, but when it did flood, all our flats were totally, you know, loosened and chicory that was on those alluvial flats. Uh, it was killed out. Yeah, and the remaining pasture that we had uh, after the flood was, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty chopped up. And the cows look a lot of feet trouble, a lot of mastitis. It's uh, surprising. I mean, the herd average on there is still saying 23 litres or something like that, which is, yeah, um, probably doesn't look that bad on paper, I suppose. No, but I guess that kind of shows the you know the system that you've got. You've got that flexibility. Obviously, they weren't getting as much uh, directly grazed feed, but you've got the feed pattern. You had the ability to that's feed right. out yeah, some of that That's right, yeah. The cows silage. were fully fed the whole yeah. time. That's right. The biggest problem was not that the fact we, we had yeah, ample feed to feed them. We had a lot of stored feed. But really, it was all about their comfort and their welfare. Like just having somewhere dry for them to lay. Every every laneway was, you know, even you know, we've got reasonably good gravel and, and had wood chips on it. But they with that much rain, it, it still you know you find sharp stones and uh, cows get sore footed and yeah. So lameness and mastitis were probably as nearly as bad as I've seen in in years, to be honest. Mm. Certainly, we've, there's been worse times, I suppose, but. This would have been nearly as equally as bad as, as as any bad times that I've seen for a long time. I guess in terms of that margin over feed cost, we went sort of from a nine dollar margin over feed cost per cow per day down to just over seven dollars. It was driven by uh, reduced amount of directly grazed feed in the diet. Consequently, we're feeding more silage. I think at that point they were only grazing once a day. The other feed was on on the feed pad. Yeah. And there are a number of other factors at play. We had a slight increase in the cost of our grain ration. The barley was slightly up for the month, about $40. Yeah, we, we mainly feed barley in the dairy. It's one thing I probably didn't mention before, but it's it's a we keep a pretty stable, a, a barley canola meal mix. The truth is with the amount of students we have here and training students to push buttons and feed cows, barley is a really safe option for us, uh, whereas wheat... We did feed wheat for a little while, but actually had a couple of, uh, you know, slight little hiccups where, you know, you get a double feeding or something like that and you end up with some cows that are a bit crook. So we tend to stick with barley just to... Manage the risks. Manage the risks, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's pretty safe. And, and look, we do feed test the barley. We we um, actually recently started weighing each load with a, um, you know, a sample cup to make sure it meets that F1 weight. Uh, we have found that there's been some variability in barley around at the moment. Mm. And, yeah, it pays to, I think, let the grain traders know that you're happy to check and test it because you'll end up with a dodgy load otherwise. There's probably little doubt about that, I think. Yeah, yeah and I think that's a, that's a great message to other farmers out there. Look, I think we might leave the the report there for, for this session. We'll obviously come back to that report in... Uh, future podcasting sessions because there's a lot of information in there that we can use within the business to to make decisions and also to understand uh, how our performance has gone so really um, until next time I'd like to thank you very much for your time Matt and sharing the Tokal story with our listeners uh, and some of the reports that you use within the business and also an understanding of the system that you're operating here at Tokal. Great. Yeah, thanks, Shana. Very happy to be here, and yet we'll we'll chat again soon. Thank you for listening to this month's Business of Dairy podcast, produced by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Dairy Business Advisory Unit. 
This series is also brought to you with funding and support from the Hunter Local Land Services. We'd love you to share this podcast with your networks and feel free to send any feedback or suggestions for future episodes to thebusinessofdairy at gmail.com. Please go to the show notes to access a full transcript and resources mentioned throughout this podcast, including links to the Tokale Dairy Monthly Business Report and the New South Wales Dairy Farm Monitor Project. You can also subscribe to our New South Wales DPI Dairy Facebook and DPI Livestock Twitter feed and view or subscribe to our quarterly DPI Dairy newsletter using the links provided.